Well, if you've got your Bible with you today, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get ready for this message today. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you so much again for this time we have now. We ask you for the word for this time, the word for the hour. Speak to each and every heart. Give understanding, revelation that we may grow up in the things of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've been talking to you for a number of weeks about growing up. That's our subject here again today, uh, that we are, of course, growing, increasing, maturing in the things of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, the scripture tells us that the Lord gave us uh, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so it's the will of God, and he's given us the tools and the equipment, what's necessary to cause us to grow up. But we can see that it's not automatic that we grow. Just because a person is saved doesn't mean they grow into full maturity and to full stature. However, uh, because we're being exhorted and taught along these lines, we know that it's, again, not automatic, but possible. It's not, the, it's not true that everybody is growing. Not all saved people are mature, are of full age. But there are some that are, and every one of us can and should be growing. We've taken some time over a number of weeks to define what an immature believer looks like, what a mature believer looks like, so we can, of course, accurately and specifically point out the flaws in others. And No, actually... uh, Designed more so so we can self-analyze and see where we're at. And then uh, y- you recall last week we began sharing with you uh, the, the necessary ingredients for us to grow. In other words, if I, if I recognize I'm at a certain place, but there are areas that need to improve and I need to grow up and mature and develop, um, how do I do it? Okay, what, what needs to be in play? And, and we've, we gave you uh, three of the five. Okay, I want to give you two more today. We gave you three of the five things. Remember, we talked about humility. We talked about um, having the right diet. In other words, the Word of God. We talked to you about resistance. Remember how, how James says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. And so uh, these things are coming your way whether you want them or not, but how you deal with them will determine whether you get better, whether you improve, whether you get stronger, your patience is developed, your faith is strengthened, or whether it just messes you up. All right? Because trials and tests are meant to take you out. (laughs) They're meant to destroy your life, cause you to give up, try try to get you to quit. The enemy hates your guts and wants you to throw throw in the towel. However, if we recognize that the Lord is on our side, He's given us the ability to overcome and to escape all kinds of bad situations, then we can look right in the face of it and smile. That's called 
counting it joy. If you'll do that, you'll come out stronger on the other side. You'll not only overcome, but you'll over, overcome with big biceps. Amen. You, 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 you looked at it, you say, this is a workout, but I'm coming out stronger on the other end of this. Only those who view it that way and take the opportunity actually benefit from it. Most people do not benefit from problems. And I'm not saying I want problems. I don't. They're not from God. However, we are given an opportunity to benefit from them. But a lot of people aren't. Okay. Let's take up these opportunities. Amen. Listen, short commercial break. Um, five, 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 H, A, I, R. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. Uh, uh, if you ever have to miss any of the messages that are, uh, that are coming out, any of the services, if you go on a vacation or something like that, let me encourage you to not get behind. With technology these days, it's so easy to stay caught up. Amen. We have CDs you can purchase. And, of course, you can go on the, on the website and download these things for free and listen. If you didn't get last week's, you should have gotten caught up by now because you are behind. Amen. Someone said, well, does it really make a difference? I mean, I know you say that, but, I mean, a few months from now, like I'm really going to remember what you said anyway. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, but... <laughs> But here, here's the deal. If we believe that the Word of God that's taught and that's brought forward is potent, it's effective, if it really changes our lives, if it really does a work in us, then we should give it higher value and credibility in our minds. And if we think, ah, missing a time or two, it's not really going to make a difference in the big picture, is it? Well... I believe that, yes, it does make a difference, even if you can't remember it all. I'm fully aware (laughs) that we're not all going to remember everything. However, there is an impartation of truth that over time builds upon line upon line, precept upon precept, and it does make a difference in our lives. If we really believe that it doesn't, then you should be watching NFL right now or something else that you like to do because this isn't helping. And I believe that most people are not thinking that way at all. That's why you're here. But if you do believe that it really does make a difference, a lasting change in your heart to have these deposits put regularly in, then follow my suggestion and get caught up if you ever have to miss. Okay, whether you like that or not, say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> Here we go. We're talking about, we talked about, oh, I gave you those already, those three things we covered last week. Let's start with number four today. Let me give you number four and five. Now, this, this, this first one here, this first one today, I just got to warn you ahead of time. Some of my, you might think, I can't believe I got up to hear this. Uh, <laughs> It's not exactly one of those things that makes you want to run around. However, as you, you'll see as we go how vital it really is. Okay, number four. Are you ready? Here it goes. You really need this in your life. It's one of those things you've got to have in place. Okay, number four. Are you ready? I'm telling you, you get ready to write this down. <laughs> this is essential. All right, number four is suffering. 
That's a low blow, Pastor. (laughs) Come to church, get all fancied up, get ready to give in the offering. And now I got to hear about suffering. Well, let's ask the question Is it necessary for Christians, for believers, to suffer? Is this something that is to be a part of our lives or not? The answer to that question, because I see heads going both ways, by the way, and I'm intentionally not staring anybody down. (laughs) The answer to this question needs specificity. In other words, it depends on what you're actually referring to when you talk about suffering. Let me give you some examples. There is a suffering that goes like this, suffering the curse. That would be things like disease and sickness and poverty and mental anguish and and, uh, all those type of things and a myriad of things that can really come into those categories. Suffering the curse. Should Christians suffer the curse? The answer is no. Say why? It's because of Galatians chapter 3. Jesus was made a curse for us. He took our place as our substitute and we are not to be suffering in that kind of way. All right. This, this is not my point today. Actually number three is. But let me take just a moment because this is an area that a whole lot of people in the body of Christ at large are confused about. Many times people are, they they have sickness or health problems or they wreck their car, get fired from their job, have all kinds of stuff. And they're asking the question, I wonder what God's doing in my life. You know, maybe the Lord is trying to, 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 you know, teach me and to help me develop. No, he's not. He doesn't have anything to do with that. That's not the method he uses to develop you. And to cause you to grow and increase. That is called a curse. We should recognize. I think I told you this already. What Jesus did for us as an example. And what he did for us as our substitute. When Jesus went to the cross and was cursed. And became sin and disease and every kind of evil thing. That was so we wouldn't have to deal with that. It is never, ever, ever for a moment. The will of God that you suffer in that kind of way. Thank you, Lord. Here's another kind of suffering, though. It's called, uh, number two is persecution. The Bible does talk about us suffering persecution. And uh, say, what about that? Well, this is one of those things. You're not going to build your faith up strong enough, and you're going to stand your ground until you get to the point where you don't have to suffer persecution anymore. Okay. In fact, the opposite is true. The more committed you are, the stronger you are, the stronger your testimony is for the Lord, the more you'll be persecuted. We even have a Bible promise on that. Thank you, Lord. Stand on it. (laughs) 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All right. So that's one of those areas we're not redeemed from. But the third one, let's talk about this. This is one of those things that is essential for our growth. And it is called denying the flesh. Denying the flesh. Did you, have you ever figured out that uh, when you got saved, your flesh didn't jump on the bandwagon? 
you gave your heart and life to the Lord. You submitted your life to He came in and changed you, made you a brand new person, but your flesh sat on the sidelines and said, we'll see. We'll see about that. You think you're going to live like that? Whatever. Your flesh did not go along, did not agree, and it's been fighting you ever since. Am I right or am I right? (laughs) The flesh needs to be dealt with. And one of the areas that we must suffer in, again, we understand what we're talking about, is denying, it is crucifying, it is putting down the will and desires of the flesh, not living by its passions and lusts. All right, And the person who never learns to do that is a person who remains immature. The mature have learned to say no to their flesh. If you never use the word no in your own life, not someone opposing it upon you, putting it on you, but you using it for yourself and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to go here. If you never use that language and toughen up with yourself, I've got a revelation for you. You are a big fat baby. Okay? You are a very difficult person to live with. You are a difficult person to be a co-worker of or an employer, employee, you're just not really that fun to be around (laughs) because you don't know how to handle the word no. Those who never say no to what they want are very immature. Amen. Sometimes um, there's a a misconception in in people's minds, we use the word sometimes with kids, spoiled. Spoiled. What, what, what is a spoiled kid? Do you know that a child could grow up in the home of a multi-billionaire for presents? You know, his presents are $100,000 presents. Just lives with absolute luxury and and just at a very high level financially, do you know that does not mean that that child's spoiled? So many times people use that word wrong, and they think, I'm giving my kids some nice stuff, I'm spoiling them. Really? That really is not what defines spoil. That's where people have this poverty and prosperity thing all messed up in their mind, and they think if someone has a lot of stuff, there's something wrong with them. God has a lot of stuff. Nothing wrong with Him. All right. The difference in a child's life is a child becomes spoiled when they're never told no. It's a child that lacks discipline that is spoiled, not the child that has expensive stuff. All right. They need to learn and they need to be told no. I know there are some parenting advocates that would tell you, tell parents, especially of of real young children, don't use the word no too much because you don't want to mess them up, you know, and thwart their creativity or something. You don't want to tell them no very often. Just kind of redirect them to another area. But I got to reading the Bible one day and I ran across the Ten Commandments. (laughs) And I found out that the Lord is not afraid to use the word no, or thou shalt not, right? One parent told me one time, they said, my kid, he thought his name was no. 
because that's all he heard. But I'm telling you, that's not so bad that a child hears no a lot because they need it. Do you know who else needs it? You and me. And when we're grown up, we have to tell ourselves sometimes, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to have that because your flesh will talk to you. It'll talk to you at the most inconvenient times. It'll talk to you about how hungry it is. Right after it ate. <laughs> It'll talk to you about how tired it is in the morning. How you shouldn't get up. No, stay right there. If you ever go to pray, it'll interrupt you. Do you think we're going to pray? No, we're not. We're watching TV. <laughs> and, and by the way, you can't watch TV without a snack. <laughs> right? But your flesh is constantly talking trying to feel gratified, wants pleasure continually. Give me this, give me this, give me this. And the person at at the extreme of this, the person who never learns to say no to what they want, they are addicted to everything. They got all kinds of problems, health problems and addiction problems. They're lazy. They can't keep a job because they're always late. And by the way, late is a sign of someone walking in in the flesh. Throw that out for you while you're here. I'll give that to you for free. Uh, sorry to ruin your day. Uh, but I'm right about it anyway. Uh, but a person who doesn't learn to say no, their life in the extreme, it's very chaotic and very much a mess. All right. The fact that you're here today means you're probably not on that extreme. All right. Because usually your, your flesh doesn't even want to Get, doesn't want to get up and commit and go do anything, right? Just wants to veg, feed me, take care of me, just nothing. <laughs> Successful people have learned to do things they don't want to do. And this is called living by principle. You and I need to learn to live by principles in our lives, not just by what we feel like doing. Well, I feel like going here. Well, I feel like doing this. And I'm not telling you for, the, for a moment that you should never have dessert or, or you should never sleep in or you should never do something just for the fun of it, all right? That's a part of life. But I'm talking about a lifestyle, all right? When someone doesn't control their urges and impulses, it really takes over their life. And here's the, here's the bigger thing that we're getting to. This is a matter of growth. A person will remain immature if they never suffer in this way, if they never suffer by saying, no to themselves to their own fleshly desires Hebrews chapter 5 have you already turned there Hebrews chapter 5 we've got an example of this in case anybody feels like I just made all that up (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5 it says so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he, well, by the way, we know who we're talking about here, right? Who, who prayed a prayer with vehement cries and tears. 
That would be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to endure and go through the most horrific experience personally, but it ended up in all of us being made the righteousness of God in Christ. But how many know his flesh didn't want to go there? His, in, his, in his natural flesh, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Why would he? He knew both physically and spiritually what he was about to endure and about to bear. And he said, I don't really want to do this. And, he, and it took him three hours to pray it through. Hmm. That, that tells us. Now, we don't have that facing us. We don't have to go to the cross, thank God. But there are some times when doing the will of God will not agree with your flesh. There are times when the Lord will say, I want you to go here, do this, say this, be, you know, be this. And your flesh says, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. I want to go here and, and do something else. And it takes a crucifixion of your will and of your flesh for you to obey. And not always is it a quick decision. What do you mean? I mean, you decide, but you, then you know there's a battle ahead unless I deal with this in prayer. I need to spend some time in prayer and commit and consecrate my life to do the will of God, period, no matter what else comes up. But when you do that, they can be sticking nails through your hands. They can be pushing thorns into your skull. They can be tearing your flesh off your back. But if you've already dealt with it and crucified your flesh, you, you can handle it. I mean, that's amazing. I don't know about you, but I know he's Jesus and he was perfect in all this stuff. But... I don't know how many whips it takes before I answer. You know, I don't know how many, how many times I get hit in the face before I say, okay, angels, go ahead. You know, when he's got 12 legion of them on call. <laughs> Just waiting there to clean up. How many times you have to get hit before you call on them? That is quite an impressive feat that Jesus did. Knowing that he could be out of it in a second. And yet he is enduring excruciating, agonizing pain. Say, well, there were others that were crucified. Certainly they were. But they didn't know they could get out of it with a f- snap of a finger. Hmm. It's one thing to know that. Jesus got his flesh really low. The desires of his flesh. And so he was obedient. In fact, that's what the scripture says here. Verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Imagine that. Think about it. Jesus learned to obey. He learned it. How did he learn it? By suffering. This is not talking about suffering on the cross, by the way. The context is his dealing with the stuff in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? First of all, we can see here that Jesus came to the earth. He didn't come knowing everything. He left his ability as God in being omniscient or knowing all things aside, when he came here, he had to learn stuff. Bible tells us he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Right? He grew. Jesus had to increase and grow. And so do we. But though he was a son, in other words, that's an established fact. That is the way it is, period. There's nothing that takes away from Jesus being who he was, the Son of God. Though he was that, he still had to learn by suffering. Though you are, and I am, a son, male and female, we are sons of God, that doesn't mean we know how to obey. That doesn't mean that we're automatically mature. We must grow and increase. The way it comes about is pain. 
Ow. Not talking pain of disease, am I? Talking pain of us resisting and denying the will of the flesh. That says, take care of me. Feed me. Entertain me. Do all kinds of good stuff for me. No. In fact, if you say it one more time, we're running around the block. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) Yes, we are. But when we get back, we're having ice cream, right? No, we're not. (laughs) If you don't shut your mouth, we're not only running around the block, we're eating a carrot stick when we get back. (laughs) You remember when Daniel, in the Old Testament, it said he fasted? He went on a special kind of fast. It said he didn't eat any pleasant food, pleasant bread, right? Yuck. What does that mean? He ate like broccoli and stuff? <laughs> what did he do? Well, basically, he went, he, the type of fast he went on, because that fasting is another subject, but it's part of crucifying the flesh, denying the desires of the flesh. He said, I'm not going to not eat totally. I'm just going to eat things I don't like. Ew. I'm not going to, you know, I've got good stuff here. You know, Mexican food, <laughs> hot sauce, Panda Express, Maggie Moo's. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to come over here and eat. Never mind. <laughs> but what it, whatever it was, it was something that he didn't really like too much. But why, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. You get the menu out and you say, I'm going to find the worst thing on this menu. I'll take this. Oh, sir, that's not very good. I know. <laughs> that's what I want. Why would you do that? Only for one reason. You're denying the flesh. And you're suffering. You enjoying your food? Nope. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. Thank you. I'll give you a good tip. <laughs> you enjoying yourself today? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm in misery here. I am suffering. <laughs> They might buy your meal for you. (laughs) But Jesus, again now, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Sometimes it hurts to obey. How does it hurt? It hurts because you don't want to. Your flesh doesn't want to get involved with that. And that's what we have to suffer, crucifixion of our own fleshly desires. Successful people, they absolutely do things in life that they don't want to do at times. It's called living by principle. You're here today, maybe, not because your flesh said, Woohoo, let's get up, let's get all ready, let's go to church and give money away. Hey. <laughs> let's go to church and pray for people that we don't really like. And uh, hopefully that's not true that you don't like us. But uh, the flesh oftentimes is not involved in that. But a person who lives by principle says, This is the will of God, this is what I'm supposed to do, this helps. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do, not because I feel like doing it. How many know when, when someone works out, they lift weights and it tears down their muscles. And then the muscles build back up. That's why they become sore the next day. But if someone wants to increase their muscle mass, they must suffer a while. They have got to endure some pain in their muscles and if they do that over time though not just over a few days or a few weeks over time they will be stronger as a result 
of allowing themselves to suffer pain in their muscles. Amen. Sometimes you find out what people are made of when you tell them no. Because they're not used to hearing no. And if you tell them no, will you do this for me? No. They've never been told no before. And you find there's a tiger that lives in there. There's something going to come out of them. Well, that's what they're really made of. They're not used to hearing that. And it reveals their immaturity. Sometimes when people are they're dealing with others, and maybe in a work situation, and they find out that people have been saying things about them that were wrong. And they, they decide, you know what? They don't show me any respect here. I can't believe they would talk about me this way. They don't appreciate me at all. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm doing something different. I don't have to put up with that. Well, you realize that's your flesh talking. Have you ever thought that maybe it was the will of God that you'd be there? So, someone says, well, you act like, it's not like I'm in the ministry or something. <laughs> yes, you are. We need, we have, that's another subject in, in and of itself, but we need to realize that it's not only those who have a pulpit that are in the ministry. Biblically speaking now, all believers are in the ministry. Whether it's selling cars, whether it's working on computer chips, you're in the ministry. In disguise. Undercover. There you are. You've got the life of God in you. God wants people in certain places. And don't think for just because someone treated you wrong, someone else did, did you wrong, that you have the right just to say, okay, well, I'm out of here. Well, you can do it. That's fine. But understand, that's the flesh. It's amazing how many spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers make decisions based on their circumstances instead of hearing from God. Just moved around by this person was rude to me or uh, they didn't appreciate me over here, so I'm out of here. Really? Can I let you know that's fleshy? It's carnal? It's not, that, it's not the way the Lord leads? Well, maybe this is a sign that the Lord's leading me. No, it's not. It's not, it's not a sign. It's called we sometimes are just yielding to the flesh and missing an opportunity to grow. I know I'm not being real nice today, but I'm, I, I have a good intention. If this is hard. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Don't let someone else's wrong behavior towards you give you license to act any way that you want. Sometimes people would never consider acting cruel or harsh or mean towards someone. But if they're hurt, if they feel hurt, all of a sudden, all rules are down. Rewrite the rules of this game, and they feel like they have, they're justified in acting any way they want, saying anything they want, being disrespectful, and, and all this stuff just because, well, I'm hurt. Well, we're not excusing the hurt and that fact that someone else did you wrong, but that doesn't give you right to do anything fleshly that you want now. Amen. You know, sometimes in, in, sometimes in marriages, people, uh, you know, one spouse or the other, because the other one hurt them in some way, they feel justified and think, well, I don't have to put up with that. You know, I don't have to live with this. Well, yes, you do. You gave your life, you get, you gave your life to them. You committed your heart to them. It wasn't conditioned upon if they were nice. <laughs> now, now, we want them to be nice. 
I'm not excusing wrong behavior. But sometimes people, they're really living in the flesh more than they realize. And I say, well, what are you saying? I mean, that's verbal abuse. Well, everyone's been verbally abused who's been married. (laughs) Haven't they? Has anyone been married and have never heard something that, uh, you know, that was hurtful or something from someone they've deeply cared about? They have. We can't use that because it's become a popular phrase and say, ah, that's verbal abuse. I'm out of here. Well, stop acting that way. Grow up. Not excusing the wrong stuff that people do. People do stuff, but we've got to be tough. We've got to grow up and be able to handle some things. Amen. Not use every little excuse as that's my way out. Or I would never do this, but I'm hurt now, so I'm justified in just losing all kinds of principle in my life and saying whatever I want to say. Hebrews chapter 2 is another example of Jesus. It says in verse 18, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Speaking about Jesus, again, talking about him suffering, but not talking about his suffering on the cross. So much of the scripture is not. This is, again, Jesus living as our example, something that we should follow. How did he suffer? In temptation. How many know temptation? There's no need to suffer being tempted if you give in to temptation. If I'm tempted and I just yield to it and I give in to it, no suffering involved there. The flesh gets its way and therefore doesn't suffer. The only time my flesh suffers in relationship to temptation is when I resist it. Is when I have a strong urge and a feeling like, oh, I really want to do this or something like that. And I say, no. Then my flesh screams, yes, do it. No, not going to do it. Resisting temptation is a way of suffering. Now watch. Resisting temptation causes growth. When your flesh suffers, your spiritual life rises up. Every time you say no, I'm not going to say it to them. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to eat that extra piece of pie. (laughs) I'm not going to whatever. We're saying no sometimes. We're saying no in relationship to the flesh. That allows us to develop and mature and grow. The more we give in, the more we stay the same. So Jesus suffered being tempted. Let me give you another one. Don't turn to this one because I want to get to our last point here. 1 Peter 5.10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. When? After you've suffered a while. (laughs) Yay. How many want to suffer this week? I'm telling you, you do. You want to suffer. Only because you know that if you do, you will grow. You will mature and increase and be able to handle so much more in life. You'll be a greater overcomer than ever before. That's the only reason we like to suffer. Praise the Lord. All right, number five. Number five, this is another element that we need in our lives in order to grow. Number five, 
is others. We need others. We are not going to grow to the place where God wants us to grow independence of other people. It's always been God's plan that we be connected and that our connectivity and relationship with others produces growth in our lives. Okay? We understand this, that the more mature a person is, the greater ability they have for independence to live and stand on their own. However, they also recognize that the body of Christ must function together. All right? We don't grow independently of the body of Christ. Now, we understand this basic truth that there is one mediator between God and man that is the man Christ Jesus. That means I don't need you. You don't need me. We don't need another. You don't need to go through some kind of minister or priest or something. You don't need to go through some saint to get to God. You can go all by yourself directly to the Father by the one mediator that we have, Jesus. And that's good. And we should all have that foundation to know that that's true about all of our lives. We have direct access. However, now, knowing that truth, and that is established and consistent, God never designed and planned for you and I to do it all alone. He wasn't involved in, uh, uh, in the making of the Lone Ranger. He never desired for you and I to have our relationship with Him independent of other people. Now look at Ephesians. Back to our text, but we didn't read this verse. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been stopping at verse 15. Now let's get to verse 16. Okay, it's taken a couple months to get to verse 16, but we have arrived. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. It says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you see that in the context of us growing up into Him who is the head Christ, He immediately goes into talking about how we are a body and we must be connected with each other. This idea that we can make it all on our own and do things by ourselves is false. I have a, again, I have an independent relationship with the Lord, but if I'm going to grow, I need to be in relationship with other people. Okay? In practical terms, let me say it this way. Uh, if those who attend church infrequently don't grow, Not waiting for a response, just want you to think. Don't feel obligated, but thank you anyway. Those who don't go to church very often do not grow. If it's infrequent in your life, I'm telling you that there is a serious deficiency of maturity in your life. Say, why would you say that? I'm saying because this is the method that God uses to put in our lives the things that are necessary for us to grow. 
And if I have that island unto myself mentality, I can do it on my own and I'm busy and so forth, I'm just simply missing out on the method that God uses to get me from A to Z. It's not about I'm more righteous or less righteous than another person. It's not that the person who is in church regularly is more holy than the person who's not more saved more righteous or anything like that that's not the case and God is really not looking at this I don't believe from just an an, an issue of performance where he's got all his kids running around doing the right thing he says look at them go they're all going and doing exactly what they're supposed to do it's a more a matter of practicality There are certain things that God set in place, and when we obey and do them, it produces positive things in our lives. Without us doing it, those things will just simply not be there. Not because a person didn't earn it, not because they're not a good person, a nice guy, or have a genuine relationship with God. They're simply not in the place where that stuff happens. So they won't get what that place was designed to produce. Does that make sense? Like we talk about uh, being baptized in water. How many know being water baptized is not just simply for the purpose of us obeying a religious ritual? Or even now doing it simply and solely out of obedience? Now, that's valid. Obedience is always valid with the Lord, okay? But I always like to ask the question, why? Why did the Lord say, be baptized? Why didn't He just say, hop on one foot? I don't have to get wet. As long as I obey, I'm doing what God's saying. Couldn't this have been the ordinance? I know this seems really stupid, but but do you get the point? There's a reason. In other words, things like water baptism produces something in our lives. And it comes no other way. If I don't do that, I'll not get what that produces. And I'm not teaching on that now, so I'm not going to tell you what that is. (laughs) Like communion. Why do we eat the bread and drink of the cup? Is it just a religious ritual, something that we practice because, you know, that's what Christians do? Or does it actually make a difference in a person's life who does it? I'm convinced it has a tangible impact on the believer's life when they do it properly. So God doesn't institute these ordinances just for religious sake, but for real purpose real design to produce something practical and real in our lives. Amen. When it comes to, why, see, why would you say, like, you got to go to church regularly or frequently? You do. And, I, and I'll show you this without getting in too much detail, but it's not, again, just so we can say, I was there, I've got good attendance. It's not about that. It's about what it produces. It's about the end result. What does it do in a person's life when they do that? I'm telling you, it is vital to our health and to our growth. 
Amen. But here's the deal. It's not only about showing up and being in proximity with others. Others is the point here. But it's about being connected. It is about relationship. It is about a connection that the body has. Remember the scripture says? talks about what every joint supplies. Like the joint in the physical body. They must be connected because things are going back and forth. There is a transfer. There is a supply of the Spirit of God that goes from one person to the other when they are together, connected in the right place. Again, it's practical. It produces something real and real necessary. If you think about it, you cut off your hand, throw it over there, it's going to struggle. It's going to have a hard time making it. And that's the picture of the body of Christ. But I think about, you know, most of us drive cars. And how many know if you drive a car long enough, you're going to have to find a gas station. And you're going to have to refuel. And when you get to the gas station, it's not just about being at the gas station. You could think, well, I've been going to the gas station. I've been going every week. In fact, I spend more time there than most. I, I mean, I've, I was there for like a half hour. I cleaned my windshield, checked my tires, sat there in the car, spent good time. I, I mean, it was enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't too bad. I had, had an okay time there, and, and, uh, but then I left. And I don't understand it. I got down the road, and my car stopped working. It was like I had not even been to the gas station. You have to make a connection at the gas station. There have, you have to take that nozzle and take the gas cap off and stick it in and pull the handle and watch the numbers go. There needs to be something that comes from the gas station's tank and goes into your tank. If that doesn't happen, then you wasted your time at the gas station. It is not only necessary for believers to be in church regularly but they must get something while they're there there must be a connection made with other people within the body so that there is a supply of the spirit someone said but i'm just really not you know i'm not like some other people and some people are really outgoing and they're quick to make friends and, and, and to, you know, volunteer for things. And they're just more of a people person than I am. And, and that's not really not my personality. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not condemning you. And uh, I don't want you to feel bad about it. However, you're still out of gas. Say, but, but you know, I, I've, I'm busy. And I, I work and I've got things to deal with, and I've got this and this, and not everybody has to deal with the things that I have to deal with. Okay, I'm not trying to beat you up over it. You are where you are, and I'm not disagreeing. However, you're still out of gas. Do you see how it's kind of practical? It's not about us beating each other up and saying, you're bad, and you're good, and you're a lousy Christian, and you're unfaithful. It's not really about that so much. I mean, faithfulness and stuff, those things are important, but looking at it practically, why does God want us to do this stuff? 
so that we will make it. We will receive enough supply of spiritual spiritual stuff, nutrients of the supply of God's Spirit, so that we can live this life for Him. If we don't, we will run out. We will run out of gas and be a nice person in the middle of it. Love God. Love the gas station owner. Be friendly with others who fill up. Hey, how's it going? You might go in and get a Coke on the way out. Okay, I got something. Well, that's not really what you needed. Well, I, I went to, the, I got some coffee. <laughs> that, fine, but that's not really the goal. Everybody with me today? Finishing up here. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. In fact, I'll just read it to you, unless you're really quick. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Again, why do we get together? It's so we can sharpen each other. We sharpen the countenance of each other. He didn't say, as iron sharpens iron, so God sharpens your countenance. Some of this stuff happens only between each other. Ver- horizontal relationships, not vertical. All right? Amen. But we've got, again, we've got to connect for this to happen. And when iron sharpens iron, how many knows? Sometimes sparks fly. Stick around. <laughs> Eventually, sparks will fly. I don't have to put up with that. It's not bad. It's not intended to be offensive. It's intended to make you sharp, you dull thing. (laughs) And if we never, ever connect with people, we're all just on our own, doing our own little thing. And while I love God just as much as the rest, fine, I don't disagree, but you're still dull. You're still out of gas. This is necessary to produce what God ultimately wants to happen in our lives. We've got to get together. Last scripture, Hebrews 10.25, you probably know this. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know that the Lord tells us, exhorts us, that the more you get into the last days, and we're a little bit more last than they were, that the more you get closer to the end times, and in the last day, you ought to be together more, not less. Why? Notice what he said here. It's not so you can hear me preach more. It's not even so we can worship God more. Those are valuable and, and valid things. But it's so that we could exhort each other. We are supposed to be connected in relationships and spurring each other on to good works. We're supposed to be encouraging and exhorting one another. How many times has another person helped you and spurred you on in your relationship with God? I can tell you numerous times for me. It's, it's something that another person said or did. And it was my relationship with them, my connectivity with them, that if it wasn't there, I wouldn't have gotten it. I w- my blade would have been a little bit dull. Hmm. I'd have been running on empty. It's a matter of connecting with the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. 
relationships and developing the right ones are vital to our walk and relationship with God, to our functioning effectively in the body of Christ. We might ask ourselves, who stirs us up? Who stirs you up? Who do you stir up? Who, 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 who can speak into your life and make a positive difference and help you? And, and who, who are you talking to where you're spurring someone else on? These are the kind of relationships God wants us to have. It's the kind of connectivity the Lord uh, wants us to have in our lives. And again, I want to stress the importance to you that it's not about if you don't, you're a, you're a turkey, and if you do, yay. I think we should think about it more practically. Well, why does the Lord say that we should be together frequently? Why does the Lord want us to be in a body and supply like, like the joints do? Why? It is to an end. And it is that you're supplied. And it is that I'm supplied with all the necessary things for me to live this life and be on top to be successful, to be strong, to be an overcomer, to be a a, a light in this dark world, to be giving Jesus all the glory. Amen. It's going to produce that in our lives. And if we ignore this, then we're missing out on something God wants us to do. Amen. Father, thank you today for this time we have. Thank you for the life that you give. Thank you for the Spirit of the Lord who lives in us lives big on the inside of us, allowing us to overcome and allowing us to do the will of God, to effectively and faithfully do the will of God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you've given us the equipment, the direction and the wisdom that if we will follow what you say follow your instructions we will not be lacking in any good thing but we will be perfected in every area of our lives so we listen to your voice we purpose today to do what we've heard and be doers of the word And I thank you for ministering to lives, for touching each and every person here now, causing them to rise up, to grow up, to increase, to move forward, to know specifically and exactly the will of God. Father, for those who've been hurt, those who've been disillusioned those who've been abandoned they have justifiable reasons in their own mind to not do this and to not rise up and be who they're supposed to be Lord I thank you that your plan is greater than that your word to them is stronger than that And I thank you that as they obey, there'll be an insurgence of your grace, enabling them to rise up and overcome all these negative things that have happened to them. 
Lord, I believe that you're at work even today in all of our lives. We do listen to your voice. We hear what you have to say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for dealing with each and every heart today in areas that we need it most. Thank you, Lord. Everybody say this out loud with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming up higher. I'm moving on with you. I'll not be left in the dust. But I commit my heart and I commit my ways into your plan. Do what you want to do. Use me and move me forward. I am a vessel that you can use, that you can flow through. Have your way in me. Do it in me now. Thank you for your help. I rest on your grace and I yield to your might. Thank you, Lord. Father, for every person that's come today, I pray that if there are those who are here who are not saved, they're not on their way to heaven, they don't have eternal life.